Welcome to the Mortis and Tenon Magazine podcast, where we're celebrating historic furniture making. I'm Joshua. I'm Mike. And we are here with Jim McConnell, uh, content editor at MNT. Uh, and uh, we're, he's staying with us for this week, so we're excited to have him on the podcast. Hi, Jim. Hey. Welcome. Um, we are uh, we're excited. Jim and I have been talking, uh, Mike and, and Jim and I have been talking a lot about uh, perfection and stuff. So we're going to be digging into that. Um, but before Jim came, we were, Mike and I were kind of scrambling here. Yeah, we've um, been working on the shop. Uh, that is our, basically we're filling any and all free time with, with shop work. Uh, we've been laying the floor downstairs, which involves pulling the, the wide pine boards off of a pile that Joshua has along his driveway and planing off the, uh, the heinous weathered parts and uh, um, uh, joining them and cutting to length and laying and nailing them down. And uh, it's been a very fun process. Uh, we got the downstairs floor finished. We also built a set of stairs to allow us and uh, any uh, guests who might happen to be coming here and living here and s- sleeping upstairs. Hence the scrambling. Yeah, easy access <laughs> rather than the aluminum extension ladder. Uh, which is a really that's much appreciated it's so much easier carrying boxes of magazines up and down also uh but um you know safety first yeah and you you haven't hit your head yet right i haven't hit my head the stairs are just the right height just right jim is taller than uh both joshua and i and so the rise and run is historically comfortable yeah (laughs) that's that's what we're looking for historically comfort comfort. (laughs) That's what we're after. Yep. So, awesome. Yeah. Uh, good progress, and uh, uh, obviously more to go up here as we're standing on uh, OSB right now. But soon enough, that will be covered in some nice, nice freshly planed pine boards. You so. can see the pine, so I feel. Yeah. Like oh, that's true. We started the. Yeah. You can look at it. The edges. Pretend that yeah. you're standing on. Yeah. Pine. Just, Just don't look down. Just fill it out. Yep. Good, good stuff. So uh, we are uh, really excited to have Jim because uh, uh, Jim wrote an article in issue three about perfection um, and the way it related to his woodworking, um, specifically with a table he made. Um, and we've gotten feedback about a number of articles, but I, and I mentioned to you, Jim, that that article, we keep getting people emailing us saying, oh, can we make photocopies of that for our woodworking club? And can we, you know, you know I was really touched by that. It really meant a lot to me really, I think, is a, a fascinating uh, discussion about uh, what is perfection and, and how does it uh, relate to when we set out to make something. Um, and I know that uh, when we were talking about that article, setting it up, um, the idea came to us because you had started a blog series about perfection. Um, and could you kind of fill in the background of what that blog, post, uh, blog series was about and what prompted it? Sure. I, I was really surprised, too. I received a lot of comments about the article, and uh, and I didn't anticipate that. But apparently it struck a nerve with a lot of people because I think a lot of us have that same urge to ask the question about how can we be better? How can we do better? What is this goal that we're searching for? I, I grew up essentially as a, an only child, and, and so I think for me perfection wanting to be better at things was always important 
Mm. You know, I, I, I mentioned to you that I, I remember when I got my first B in school, <laughs> something <laughs> less than an A that I, I felt absolutely crushed. You know, I was like openly weeping in third grade. <laughs> and um, That's so sad. <laughs> well, it's sad, but, it, you know, it speaks to something that's in us that, that just that yearns for better. Right. And yeah. and yeah. Uh, and so it's been kind of a, a long, a long quest to answer that that particular um, nagging question. And uh, I'm I currently serve a church in North Carolina as the pastor. I'm in the United Methodist tradition, and one of our our um, our tenets is this this continued search for Christian perfection or or perfection. Um, insofar as that we we love one another well or better and right. and that comes from John Wesley our founder who had this this notion that while we couldn't be ever perfect in our actions cuz who of us is that we could um we could seek to to be more perfect and mm. so this idea that like you can be more perfect like it's not an end goal but it's a continuing process was really compelling to me and that just got me to ask the question of myself and then I started asking the question of other people and as I started doing that I got these really interesting responses and so I started to say maybe uh, let's publish these responses and so I, I talked to a few people and and, and solicited uh, commentary from people within the woodworking tool making community and and uh, I tried to I tried to branch out so to include people uh, with other skills too engravers mm -hmm. and those sort of things and um, just got some really interesting responses. Uh, you know, without going through them all here, there were a lot of themes that kind of popped up. One that yeah. was really prevalent was that perfection is impossible. <laughs> right. <laughs> we can't be perfect. So, you know, but that wasn't a, a fatalist kind of thing. It was, well, okay, if it's impossible, how do we reckon with that? And, and should we try for it anyway? And, 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 and let's go on. And, so there was that, and there was. Um, so the blog series started with this idea that I would ask people to describe perfection for themselves in a thousand words or less, right. and uh, most people stuck to that. <laughs> <laughs> to that, and we we came pretty close, but we had some really interesting responses. I know that you know some people were like, "Perfection's our goal. That's what we're striving for every day," and some people. Um, Perfections are process, and, and we're, mm -hmm. we're getting there. And, and so it was really interesting to hear that. Yeah. And so that, that blog series kind of in, informed the direction you took your article. Like, yeah, it did. Did you see it as, as a summarizing or just a like a, a benchmark on the journey of your understanding? Of... Well, it's funny because when I started writing the article, I did try and summarize ideas. Because for, for some people, perfection was really motivating. It was a thing that, that got them up in the morning and made them want to go work. And for some people, the idea of perfection was demotivating. They, right, yeah, right, I, right, right. If I can't ever be perfect, yeah. why even shoot <laughs> yeah. for it? Yeah, and, definitely. And so I started to put all these things together into one article and try it. And it, it got really theoretical mm. and uh, really quickly. And, and maybe that's the undergrad philosophy major in me. <laughs> right. <laughs> but... But um, I remember I sent you that article, and I sent it, and I knew it was bad. And <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was terrible, and, and when it came back to me, your comments were so kind. Uh, but they were like, maybe we can, and, and as, soon as, I, as soon as I got it back, I immediately knew where it needed to go. Yeah, and, right. 
And that happened because my daughter was with me as I was trying to take photographs for the article, and she just asked me some questions. And, huh. and she was so earnest uh, about why do you want these pictures to be perfect? And why are you trying so hard? And I, and I had, to, had to formulate my own answer. And, and right. so in yeah. that moment, we, you know, it really occurred to me that for me, perfection can be either motivating or demotivating. It can be all these things. And, and in fact, it's, it's, a, it's a material thing is made perfect for me, not just by having, you know, been made square and sound and smooth, but it's perfected for me and its use when it gets out in the real world. It's, mm -hmm. you know, having something to put your your glasses and your book on next to your bed at night or having something to eat lunch on with your family. Right. That's, that's where the things that we make reach perfection. And so, you know, that, that was sort of a, you know, a, a realization for me. Sure. Mm -hmm. So I guess, like, how does that fit into, you know, let's say you are at the last step, you're cutting the feet level, get everything set. I mean, when, so that the, the table or the chair is done and you look at it, do you feel like it, within that framework you can say, wow, that's perfect, or it's 80% of perfect, or 90% <laughs> of perfect? Do you feel like you can say anything at that point, or do you feel like, because of what you wrote in issue three, do you feel like, I can't say anything. I have to let it become, it's, it's, this is the beginning of its journey to perfection. Yeah. Funny story. Um, <laughs> so the table that I wrote oh. about... <laughs> um, the table that I wrote about in issue three, our dining room table, I ended up scrapping the whole base for it and building a whole new base. So I built a trestle base for it, and uh -huh. it was, it was, you know, in, in many ways perfect when it left the shop. It was smooth. It was square. It's beautiful. It was, it was really pretty. The, yeah. For so, I let my daughters paint the first coat of milk paint, and then I came back and fixed it. <laughs> right. And, and, uh, and so, like, when it left the shop, I was really, really proud of it. And, um, but, so it's a, it's a shaker design. Mm -hmm. And uh, the shakers apparently didn't treat the table the way my daughters treat the table. Right. I have a, a three-year-old, a five-year-old, and a six-year-old. And, and the younger ones really just love to sit on the table and you know sit on the edge of the table and rock it back and forth and hang on the ends and do all these things that I'm sure you know are good pious shaker. Right, it's uh, the shake the shaker thing to do. Yeah, right? like they weren't shaking the tables. <laughs> right. When they when apparently they not. Them. And so so for some reason over the winter as the dry air got to these joints and my children got to these joints, it developed just enough of a wobble to be really annoying. At mm -hmm. dinner. And, uh, you know, I, I put some little wedges in and, and tapped it together and, and fixed it. And at some point, at some point we were having dinner and my wife turned to me and said, you need to make a new base for this table. <laughs> <laughs> and like, she just said what I already knew. Right. And so it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, um, anything I didn't already know. And so I, I went out to the workshop and, and made a, just a regular old sort of, mortise and tenon square four four leg base and that turned out really beautiful too and i mm -hmm. in fact like it better than the original mm. yeah. but there was a moment where i had to decide for myself whether i was going to admit this to the 
social media Instagram virtual <laughs> right. world. Because I had written this article about perfection. Right. And it's perfect. And I don't want to admit that it's not. And yeah. so, so I had to, to say, okay, well, I'm going to build this base. Am I going to take a picture of it? Am I going to say anything about it? And, you know, I ended up doing it, but there was a real, like, hesitation for me. Mm, right. Because, because I was admitting that this thing I talked about, <laughs> when it hit the real world, needed some tweaking. Yeah. And, and, it, and that's just <laughs> onward to perfection, maybe. Yeah. I mean, you know, to me, that kind of transparency, uh, you know, out in social media land, so much just is, it is so perfect as to be demotivating. You mm -hmm. know, you see all these uh, posts and pictures of things that they're, they seem unattainable because they've been framed perfectly with the right light and everything is just perfect about that image. And, uh, but then sometimes, uh, in your case and in other cases I've seen, there's this honesty and openness and approachability about things that show like, like the, the, the underside or the backside or the, the muddy corner or the junk drawer, or, you know, whatever. And it's like, okay, wow. So this is, this is actually real. This isn't some artificial, perfect something. This is, this is attainable. And, and to me, like that's, that's really valuable to, uh, to have that kind of transparency. Yeah. Yeah, so thanks for being honest about it. <laughs> well, that's, that's interesting because whenever I, I, I do make a point every once in a while to show a, a breadboard that I blew out or yeah, you know, yeah. something that I was, uh, dovetails that I was trying to cut the cracked part or something. And I do that because, uh, you know, I feel like you have to be honest. And every time I do that, I'm constantly surprised by the amount of response that you get. The people just saying, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, isn't that funny? I do this too, and I thought I was the only one. Yeah, we're yeah, not, yeah. you know. We're all. Yeah. None of us are perfect. Yeah, and so. It's, and it's it's all a journey, and I think a, a good part of like supporting one another in that journey is just recognizing our our flaws and how things that we wanted to be perfect didn't turn out exactly as we wanted. But it's a, it's another step, you know, yeah. that we take. It's because no, it's we're not theories. We're real people. Yeah, and exactly. And we're all yeah. real people. And yeah. we're, we're not social media personalities. We're all real people. Right. And yeah. so, yeah, yeah. I've always found that to be so interesting when I've uh, I've had the opportunity to meet somebody I've always looked up to, read their books, saw them on you know some videos or whatever, and I met them in person. Whether you know whatever sphere it is, you meet them in person, you're like, oh. That's oh, just this is another dude. This or is a real lady person. Or another, yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. Oh, yeah. So not to take away from that person's skills, but it's just we're all real people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Doing stuff, yeah. and some things happen to go public, and you know, yeah. and social media, and some things don't. And uh, we're all there. We're all just uh, on the journey, trying to yeah. make stuff and explore things. And uh, yeah, and you know, I I, I don't want to take away from the the beauty that you can find and the inspiration you can find and right. in, in something well done and well yeah say photographed social media like i i love that stuff and it really does inspire me i think the popularity of things like instagram shows that inspires a lot of people but um i i think just making it real is that much more um relevant it's just that much more helpful and that that's kind of what we want to do we want to be like um 
inspiring others, but also being real so as to be approachable, you know? Sure. Um, nothing, certainly nothing that I have ever made is up on a pedestal of, of greatness. Like there's something wrong with everything that I've, I've ever, you know, made or built or. Yeah. But it's a choice though, to look for the good in it. And I, I've made a point on social media. All along. I'm not on most social media anymore, but I've made a point all along to not, um, denigrate things. Mm. So if someone's trying something for the first time, if right. it's their first set of dovetails, yeah. I always try and find something. Say, oh, a little uneven there. I was trying to find something <laughs> really encouraging to yeah. say because you know, it, yeah, it, it's really it can be demotivating, especially if it's someone that you've you've looked up to or someone that you you think um, has it all together, and they say something to you that that might be constructive, but it also might just sting a little break your heart yeah yeah and and if we're i mean if we're going to be good to each other and be iron sharpening iron or whatever we need to be the kind of people who who encourage and and who help others along the journey the same way people helped us yeah oh exactly uh and that's what you know mike and i talked about that a lot and that's that's kind of the reason we're so excited about looking at pre-industrial furniture up close getting underneath there with the flashlights because that's what it does for us yeah yeah it's it, it's it freeing is, in that sense it's to say you know whoa <laughs> yeah exactly i guess that was okay so i guess that's okay but I, but I think even beyond that it sort of like it contextualizes what it looks like for at least a lot of people in the past to work mm-hmm. and just build something not for show uh, the outside was for show but not the inside yeah so it contextualizes. So at least you can say, uh, maybe this isn't what I'm striving for, this you know, rough underside or something. But it helps me see, this is what it looks like to just work and not care. And then you can you know, go from wherever you want from there. Yeah. But uh, that's, I think that's what the most valuable thing is about looking at. You can see, you know, I've been amazed to see um, different, like you can see a photograph of a piece of furniture and then you see it in person you know, Jim's up here sleeping yeah. in the shop and I have the table from the video. And yeah. It's like, you can see it in the video. Go, oh, it's all together. And it's yeah. like, don't look at the drip on that one side. Yeah, the, yeah. The paint. don't, don't, pay, look, don't look too close. Yeah. <laughs> from six feet away, you know. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's that's real and that's that's what's exciting to to us about, about this topic, this perfection topic. Yeah. Um, but so you had this article, you had this, the blog series and all these different ideas prompted you to have your take on it. Um, and then, you know, that was, what, a year ago? Yeah, that was, a, I guess, almost a year ago. Yeah, yeah, so how do you feel, especially with the changing of the table base, how is your thinking about what perfection is in relation to woodworking? How has that changed or evolved or morphed? Yeah, the one thing that's always a danger is for things to become theoretical for me. And, and I think that we kind of have to go both directions. And, and, and in, in answering your question, coming back to that idea of looking at furniture that has a rough underside or that has a, a back that's, you know, got hatchet marks on it or something like that, and, and looking at that and, and kind of wrestling with the idea of perfect and perfection and surfaces and, and perfection in work and those kind of things. For me, things always have a danger of becoming a theory. 
uh, um, so if, if I think about it too hard, I come up with ideas, and those ideas have to translate back, and those ideas always have to translate back. But um, thinking about perfection, when I wrote that article, I was really into the idea that things are perfected by their use, and I think that's true. I, mm -hmm. I think that's, that's absolutely true. I think that um, since then, though, I've, I've noticed one trend that I, I kind of push back against, and that is that um, things take on a life of their own. So theories take on a life of their own. So when we introduce the idea that secondary surfaces can be rough, well, you know, they're rough in pre-industrial furniture. They're, you know, frankly, I, I bought a factory-made maple set of drawers that was antique for my daughter just recently at a, at a store and um because you know if you have kids you're constantly buying furniture and <laughs> right. shuffling right. it in and out and and so this uh, this really beautiful set of maple drawers on the outside and even that on the backs of the drawers you know it shows the marks of sawmill the work that was done to put into it you know it may not have been a single artisan making this but it was someone standing on a line <laughs> right, with right. a saw or, you know, cutting. Yeah. And so, so anyway, we present this idea that the show surfaces are, are finished to a particular, uh, particular, I don't even know the word. <laughs> De degree, degree of finish. Yeah. Or, yeah. So, so the show surfaces are finished to a particular degree. The back surfaces can be rough. The undersides can be rough. Um, but then things sort of take on a second and third degree as we present information that we find and we give a theory about it. And then sometimes you'll read like two and three and four blog posts generationally down the line on other blogs yeah. where, where we get to a point where secondary surfaces being rough isn't a, uh, just an observation, but it might be a requirement for authenticity. You're like, you might have to do this if you want to make pre-industrial furniture authentically. Yeah. And, and I think that, it, that there's always a danger of, of theories becoming legalistic or laws. Mm -hmm. So it's the same way when you work with machines. You know, if you, if you have to have these kind of surfaces that are perfectly finished and everything's within a you know, millimeter of its right, <laughs> life, yeah, right. a hundredth of a millimeter of its life, that that, that becomes a law too for some people. Sure. Yeah. And so, so for me, the idea that perfection or the thinking about it um, can become kind of legalistic, it, that's something that I've been wrestling with and breaking, breaking with. Um, so I was just working on a, some chairs for, for the dining room table the other day and I got to the bottom of the chair and it didn't need to be smooth planed but my sight lines were still drawn on there and I just wanted to clean it up and I just got to it and I just really smoothed it out and I, mm -hmm. I took <laughs> way more time than I needed to uh, to to make the surface perfect and it wasn't for anyone else no one will ever see it it was just yeah. for me and that's okay too yeah you know like so so I think if someone feels like they have to do something, then it starts to become less. There's less freedom. Less freedom. Yeah, yeah it's You've less, taken it, away. There's that. less grace in there, and therefore less motivating. I think. Yeah. Too. Like yeah, I think that's the, 
the practical outcome of it is it's sort of you're you're now performing for some other standard outside of what inspired right. you exactly well and we yeah. were you you all were talking on the y'all i'm not even a southerner but no, y'all is such y'all. a no, no, useful we'll, we'll we love y'all. y'all we love y'all we're talking last time on the blog post about uh surfaces that were intentionally made to look sure yeah uh, yeah so intentionally made to look scrub planed or yeah like like, like faux scrub plane faux scrub uh, fake, fake wood flooring yeah right and and that you know that really made me think about about that too because that's that's wholly inauthentic but it was made to do this and so yeah. like uh so any surface any finish treatment anything like that any theory or dogma that we create um is dangerous and i don't think we want it to be that we just want to show you those things so that they're freeing to you yeah yeah but sometimes they kind of take on a life of their own like I think social media fi- fuels this, though. I think that mm-hmm. like we all want to try that thing that someone else succeeded at, and, yeah. and if and if that works out, we want to add our own two cents as to why that's a good idea, and then that kind of comes down the line. Um, and after a while, everyone just believes this is the only way. Right. Yeah, right. 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 So yeah, I mean, there, there's like in in my mind, it's. If if what what we at M and T uh, can show based on like historic precedent and secondary surfaces and in, in as much as that is freeing to yeah. someone who wants to take in woodworking and and to say this is how it's done there's there's historic precedent for this this was a building um, efficiently you know historically if you can look at it and say wow that that frees me up. I can do this because this has been done for hundreds of years. I don't have to be so obsessed with with everything. So this is yeah. freedom. If that's the case, then then take that and run with it. Yeah. Right. If it if it becomes constraining, if you say, "Oh my goodness, well this table is not historically accurate because I haven't foreplaned the underside." Ah, I guess I should get on that. Uh, yeah step away like yeah. you know um this is you know we most of us are really blessed in that we get to do this as for fun this is a hobby yeah. this is this is something that we find joy and excitement in we like to look for inspiration we like to get our hands dirty we like to make stuff and we get to do that not to please really anyone but ourselves and you know our families and you know, our mother-in-law when it's time to, to give a little, you know, gift or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But, but we get to pursue this for our own joy and satisfaction and our own growth, right? Yeah. So that's what that's about. I mean, we're, we're not, most of us are not trying to make a profit on this. So we get to chase it down any way we want to. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's a wonderful thing. Um, so the, the tough question... I will ask you then, Jim, thinking about that, is um, what about woodworking, hand tool woodworking, woodworking in general, what about it most sparks you? We were talking about fire making yesterday. We, okay. I guess we have lots of random conversations around here. <laughs> but like the flint and steel fire making, and you have a little piece of char cloth on your flint, and you strike it, and you catch that spark. And when you do it just right, the spark catches in the char cloth and it starts to spread and starts to glow and you can like 
blow that into a flame. We're kind of talking about that in terms of inspiration and catching that spark and making it glow and feeding it and, and feeding it with what inspires you. And so what about woodworking does that for you? Well, let me, let me back up from that for just a second and, and just carry that analogy out. Because when you, if you have ever lit a fire, if you have ever lit, is that right? I don't know. If you I don't have, know. Let's, wait, let's, do you have let ever me call light? Megan quick. Yeah, okay. Do you have ever call lit a fire? If you've ever lit a fire with uh, flint and steel, you know that's a, just, a, it feels good to have done that and mm-hmm. to, to know that you can do that. And to know that, you know, ages and ages ago, people were lighting fire yep. with flint and steel and that that carries a historical precedent. With it. Yes. Yeah, and that's important. Yep. But if I had to light every fire in my life with flint and steel, yep. I wouldn't. Because yeah. that would not bring me joy. Like, I am happy to have a butane lighter if it's yeah. raining and windy and I'm cold and I'm camping. Yeah. So that's, that's you know, having the historical precedent there is freeing to know that we can do it. Yeah. And to try it and to experiment with it. But, but just to recognize that we don't always, like, not everyone's always going to find their joy in that. Right. And, um, and also, like you were saying... To have mastered the flint and steel fire is not to say you can go out and tell everyone who's lighting a fire with a bick, oh my goodness, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. You need to be going out and, and finding the rocks and building your fire that way. Oh, right. Yeah, you have to you have to leave room for creativity in it. I mm-hmm. will I never overcut my half line dovetails. That drives me crazy. <laughs> and I know that there's a Oh lo- come on. <laughs> I know that it's, it's really freeing. Lots of historical precedent for it, and yeah. that it's everywhere. And uh, you know, I've been encouraged to just go ahead and overcut those half-blind dovetails. But that just—I look at it and I hate it. Like I even look inside old, you know, old furniture, and I see that, and I understand it's why it was done, and it's historical precedent. And I just think, man, that's—I hate that. <laughs> so, and that's a strong word, but it yeah. just it. it Something about it doesn't sure. right. connect with my soul, and so I don't do it. Like yeah. I'm free to know that I could do it, yeah. but I just don't. Like that's yeah. a personal discipline. I don't like doing it. Yeah. yeah. So, so I think that that's a choice individuals have got to make because it doesn't inspire me to do something. Right. But when I see those half yeah. cut or those half blind dovetails that are overcut, that doesn't inspire me to want to do it. It might inspire me to want to make a table that looks like that with a drawer. Mm-hmm. So, so what did what was my spark, right? Yeah. I come from a family of people who just make things. You know, like my grandmother and my mom were always sewing things or uh, making quilts or those kind of things. My grandfather was a, a journeyman electrician. Um, my dad worked at a print shop. So it, if there was something that we needed, we made it. You yep. know, my mom always tells these stories about how her mom made her dresses out of flower sacks when she was a little kid nice. and those kind of things. And so that's just the kind of ethos that I grew up in. And um, so what inspired me to, to do woodworking was the, the smell of sawdust and three-in-one oil mixed together hmm. as I opened my grandfather's garage. We, we lived all together in a farmhouse. But as I opened that garage door and I saw this beautiful cast iron craftsman table saw mm-hmm. <laughs> and then right inside the shop right in the middle of everything that 
that piece of equipment inspired me to want to woodwork. Nice. <laughs> Which is not the thing you say on the mortise and tenon block. <laughs> That's right. No, wait, we can edit it out. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but, but for me, like, just the idea that we can use tools to create things. Yeah. And that, that table saw is long gone, but it was emblematic for me of, of being the kind of people who are creative people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, certainly I'm as much of a consumer as anyone in, in modern times. But, but also having the idea within me that I can take a raw material of some sort and fashion it into something else. Yeah. And that's cool too. I know you you all were talking with Ben about this, but my kids see that too, yeah. and they and and they love that idea. And and I love that they come to me with things and say, "Can we fix this?" Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah instead of "Can we go buy a new one?" You know, right. it's con- the first question is always like, "Can we fix this?" or "Can you make this?" And, yeah, and that's cool. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. K- kids don't have those those preconceived limits, like on what can be done, what's possible, what, you know, materials will allow or what materials won't allow. They just, yeah. they just want to make stuff. Yeah. And, and so like whenever I would do that to my grandfather, he would say, sure, let's go do it. Mm-hmm. You know, or like, let's go rewind this electric motor and see if we can make it work. Or, yeah. You know, like things like that is just, it, there was no legalism about how you did a thing. It was just, is right. there a thing to be done? Yep. Does that bring you joy to do it? Yeah. Let's get it done. Yeah. And I think that that's, I think that's where I was coming from when I was talking about the the theory of perfection and the the ideas that we have about it and and how it can be stifling if if we if we get legalistic about things. Right. Well, I mean, you were talking about our kids' creativity and stuff. And yesterday when we were talking, we were visiting. We pretty quickly we were talking about issue five, making some plans and stuff, and talking about different things. And then we were talking about shop time, uh, and I just made a, a gift for my uh, now one year old, and had the older boys in the shop with me. We we're instantly all because all our kids they're about at the same stage of life. Yep, uh, three to ten, you know. Yep, and uh, <clears throat> we we're talking about working with kids in the shop and how it's you know we can have these ideas of what we want them to make with us. Something that's totally solid, that's well designed, that they can look back and say, "I made that when I was two years old." Yeah. Look how <laughs> look at those know? crisp dovetails. It's like totally I mean, unrealistic. Yeah. yeah. But when really my kids, what they want to do is take a whole box of nails and fill a piece of offcut. You know. Yeah. And it's yeah. a well, I don't know what is it? A porcupine? Yeah. Is it yeah. a boat? I'm not sure, but it's <laughs> awesome to them. Yeah. And inspiring and, and uh, great fun. And kids, I think, really have that. It's just. When they approach woodworking like that, they're just like, "Oh, yeah. I can make this. I want to do that." There are absolutely no rules. Yeah, yeah, and what, I think you can't glue end grain to end grain. Yeah, that doesn't what? Work. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Let's try it anyway. Yeah. yeah, yeah, or drive sixteen penny nails through a piece of pine that's like a quarter of an inch thick. <laughs> <laughs> but then what happens is, you know, it's 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 this this journey. So it starts with this spark for the, our kids, and they drive that sixteen penny nail, and yep. it shatters a piece yep. of wood, and they go, "Oh." That failed. Yeah. And they try something else and they keep trying stuff. And we can maybe advise or a little bit of guidance. Like, hey, let's try this piece of wood. It's thicker, you know, yeah. maybe it won't break. And they go, oh, wow, that worked. Yeah. And then if they can stay in that course and stay inspired and, and keep making stuff, they can now start taking that creative spark and put it into some application or some piece that's going to hold up for a little while. Not, right. not five minutes, but 
yeah. you know, a, a few years maybe. Yeah. Um, and then they get they get bit with, hey, you know, we can really make stuff. We can really do that with our lives. Um, yeah, but you have to fit like kids have to be free to fail on their own terms. Right? Yeah. For a little while before. They, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Before they're ready to ask. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. But but even at, you know at that level, I'm just whenever I have off cuts. I usually just I put them in one particular bin, and my kids know that that's the like that's the creativity bin. You know that's right. Where, that's where I'm gonna go. Fair game. Anything yeah. in there is fair game because my my middle daughter will constantly come to me and say, "Papa, do you have any wood I can use?" Like, <laughs> and so I, and she usually grabs the piece that I've just smooth playing yeah, and I'm yeah. ready to cut. You know, like, oh, no, ready no, no, to cut no. tenons over on. there. And so I always direct her back to that that uh, off cut been and uh but they know that they can just take anything out of there and do anything they want with it mm. and you know other than the fact that sometimes there's a puddle of glue left on the floor right they make some really cool things yeah and just allowing them to be free to make those things and then tell you what the heck they are yeah <laughs> it's okay mm -hmm. because yeah. it's just it's good yeah. yeah and you know kind of in in the realm of of freedom but but then learning and growing in this idea of, of perfection and execution of something. It's really cool to see, um, you know, your, your kid is really struggling with some aspect of driving a 16 penny nail through a piece of quarter inch pine. And you say, let me show you something. You say, I'm going to drill a little pilot hole here mm -hmm. and now try driving that nail. And they say, whoa, hey, this opens up this whole new like yeah. vista of this tool can free me up to actually do this. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, they might not get the drilling just right, right off the bat, but, um, you know, that, that careful, subtle guidance, that help, you know, that, that can be offered can, can just give even more freedom in that, that creative pursuit that those, those kids are after. And as, you know, like we were talking about yesterday, kids at different levels have different, Abilities, obviously, you don't give the, the three-year-old the, the super sharp sloyd knife and say, all right, go do some fancy carving. Go carve uh, yourself a spoon. Yeah, go, <laughs> yeah, we have guests coming for dinner. We need four spoons, please. Um, but obviously, you know, at, at each level, as the kids are more and more able to handle, you know, a, a trickier tool, something like that, that presenting them that tool and showing them how it can be used is just another way of, of enabling freedom in that, that yeah. craft pursuit. Well, and I, you know, I was thinking, well, as we were talking yesterday, Jim, about, you know, you were talking about smooth planing the underside of the, the chair you were making. And then I was saying like, cause that's what inspired you felt driven within yourself. So this isn't for anyone else. It's not, you know, like just in the, you know, just so I can show someone how smooth it is, but I just want it to be smooth. And I was talking about that's so that's what inspires you. And I was talking about it's so interesting because to me, the opposite surface inspires me the same way. Yeah. That, right. Um, the reason, you know, we're fired up about old surfaces and stuff is because, you know, uh, what we see in pre-industrial work is that that was probably presumably mostly just practical they were just trying to move fast they right. didn't have machines anyway so they they're were... not like oh this this four-planed aesthetic is sure. so nice yeah. yeah so that was just practical but that's actually not why i do that yeah it is practical actually right we don't have machines in the shop yeah so 
if I smooth planned everything, it would take me longer. Like you were saying, it took extra time to do that. So, you know, there's a, a time saving there, but that's not why I do it. Right. Um, we were talking about the hand hewn timbers and stuff and like seeing the tool marks and being able to have access to the maker in that moment. You can see what they're doing. And so for me, that's like that spark where I can, if I can see tool marks from, uh, from a hand tool, from a person who was cutting something and had to work around an area, that to me is what inspires me. And so mm. reproducing that is like, you know, I get, when I see an old piece with some really funky tool mark that sheds light onto the process, I go, I, I got to get out and try that. That's yeah. so inspiring to me. Yeah. yeah. So that for me is, it's interesting that you can have, you can start at the same place of creativity and inspiration and then it manifests in what your particular interests in, are in. You know? Yeah. So like, you know, I was saying, I'm kind of a, maybe a little bit uptight and a kind of a perfectionist in some areas, but I'm trying to get these secondary surfaces perfectly rough. I mean, yeah, yeah, meaning it. if they were machined, <laughs> right. it bothers me. Like, right. I, I'm not, I don't want, that's not what I'm after. Yeah. I yeah. want that human texture as I think, you know, I think of this, I want to see those fingerprints. So I'm like obsessed with getting that just right. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, so it's like as detailed a look at the process. Exactly. I mean, it's not it's not just an an afterthought. It's a, there's this careful thought into how that's going to be executed. Yeah. So that's my own quirk. <laughs> I think I think anything that's not machine made that's human made bears signs of yeah. its making. So even if it's not, I have this stool at home, this three legged stool that uh, Chris Schwartz made, and. When I got it, the underside of the stool seat—it's not—it's not traversed, uh, but it's—it's it's planed in such a way that that the plane tracks are still—you can feel them, you, mm. you know—and they're yeah. they're almost invisible, but you can feel them. And and uh, but when you you have the stool sitting upright, the top of that stool is—it's maple and it's glass smooth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when I got that. It inspired me in both directions because it reminded me like, okay, I can leave some plane tracks on the bottom, but I have never achieved a surface like this mm. on the top. Mm. And even my best work, <laughs> you know, like I'm not, right. I'm not just blowing smoke, <clears throat> but, but even my best work, you know, I had never achieved that surface and, you know, it was, a, it was a staked joinery too, so that you had end grain and face grain right all like, and it's like it's so just, smooth it's just like glass yeah. and um and so it, that inspired me too to say okay the next time i get to this kind of operation i'm gonna shoot for that yeah but both of those things are marks of human hands right. yeah like right. i'm constantly now i see when you buy wood that has been machine planed those little ripples yeah and I never saw that before. <laughs> right, right. And suddenly my eyes were open to that. And that's a mark too. And sure. An imperfection, if you will. Yeah. But it doesn't point to humans, you know. Right, so right. I think things that, like, things that point to the hands that made them right. are, are important. I don't, you know, I certainly don't want to. Because I think there's a spark in that too. Like, something that was made by a machine can be beautiful but it's not as alive to me as something right. that someone crafted with a hand. Yeah, and that's, sure. that's why even when my kids bring me these utterly inscrutable yeah. statues that they've made out of my <clears throat> offcuts, 
that they're still somehow beautiful. Yeah. Because I just, I see Katie in them, or I see Brighton in them, or I see, yeah. you know, even my youngest, Quinn, is starting to do this, you know. I was overzealous, too, when they were first, I had first had the idea that I would introduce them to Woodward. I made them this little Nicholson bench, and I oh, yeah. put a vice yeah. on the front, and I... They were allowed to use a coping saw and, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, and a few yeah. a few non-threatening tools. And um, I thought, I'm going to teach you how to do this. And we're going to... Um, and boy, they just wanted to color it pink. Yeah. Like they, just wanted, <laughs> they just wanted to get out their yeah. markers and color it pink. And yeah. like to me, I was like, I spent no, all this time making, doing you, it wrong. <laughs> making you this beautiful bench. I even, you know, I flattened the top so... For some reason, as I thought you'd need a flat top on yeah. your bench, and now you just want to draw on it with markers, you know. But that was a creativity, yeah. That, you know, yeah, it's them. So it's, I think that's it. It's we were talking about um, Chester Cornet too yesterday. Yeah. Oh right. And his chairs, <clears throat> and how I know that that's you know something that's been brewing around here. We've been talking around Morrison Town about about incorporating this. Uh, into an issue but yeah but the idea that you know what may look utterly uh otherworldly to some of us yeah. or, or like i would never build a rocking chair with a bookcase in it yeah. right chester cornett's bookcase rocker yeah is out of this world. iconic right it's <laughs> out of this world it's, it's like nothing else i've ever seen yeah it's, yeah. it's on a different plane but for him you know, and, and that you can say a lot of things about that. It's not on the plane that I would choose to be on, right? Or, or maybe it is. But, but what it is was the spark in his his eye when he put that last piece together, yeah. Or like the feeling in his heart of accomplishment that he had made something truly magnificent. Yeah, yeah what he called his masterpiece to him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and I think that's important. You yeah. know, like to to squash that in people. Is that getting back to the social media? You know, like when someone cuts that first set of dovetails that they feel really proud of. Yep. I'm not going to be the one that says you overcut the line. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> like, even if it drives me nuts, you know, that's yeah. not that's not going to be me. Because yeah, and the same with kids. Yeah. The same with kids. Yeah, I wish that Chester Cornett was on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be. That would be a good. It would be an interesting stream of. That'd comments. be a good place to check. Yeah, yeah. Although, although I'd be, I'd be terrified to see what people wrote in the comments. That's true. Yeah, because you yeah. know we were talking about that too. How some people are just really negative in comments, or some people yeah. always want to, to offer unsolicited, <laughs> right, advice. And and for some people we can kind of take that and roll with it. But yeah. for some people that's really damaging. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and uh, it does not light the fire. It. it pours a bucket of water on it yeah, yeah. for sure uh, someone like uh cornet or other creative geniuses who were probably used to criticism uh you know they just process things differently they see it as this is this is my pursuit this is my vision and i i think that there are people who are able to block out all the noise around them just just to recognize okay these people don't see it they mm -hmm. they don't get it so that's okay like if they have their own vision whatever go do your thing i'm gonna do my thing i'm gonna make this this awesome rocking chair with bookcases and <laughs> and uh and call it my masterpiece yeah. yeah 
But he knew as he was making that, he saw those full of books. Yeah. And he yeah. saw someone rocking it. Rocking and, and pulling and a volume off from behind his ear. And, yeah. You know, yeah. So this is going to be great. Yeah. <laughs> it's so amazing. It's really, really. Sitting down with a, a pipe and, and a copy yeah. of Aeschylus. And yeah. <laughs> uh, awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Jim. That was a lot of fun uh, to explore that further. The follow-up to the article. Yeah. Was great. Yeah. Yeah. And continue to pursue uh, perfection in our, you know, ourselves and our work and, and what perfection means in those contexts is, is such a good thing to, to continue to talk about. Maddening. It's maddening. Maddening. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for listening to the Mortison Tenon podcast. Um, if you haven't already, uh, you can subscribe to the podcast at iTunes or Stitcher. Um, and also we always love comments and feedback. So if you have questions, uh, please uh, leave them below in the comments uh, on the blog or, or wherever. Um, and we'd love to uh, talk about this, talk about perfection and how it applies to our woodworking. Uh, so thank you so much for listening and uh, stay tuned for another episode. Take care.